Thank you guys for being here uh, this morning. My name is Reggie Horn. Uh, I'm one of the pastors, one of the elders here at Redemption, and uh, we're very grateful that you guys could join us this morning here uh, as we worship together. Just a quick note, this weekend was our Handmade Fair. Uh, what we do at Handmade Fair every year is we clean up, we clear out all the chairs, and uh, we open up our building to have local vendors come in, um, pay for a booth uh, so that they can uh, have a booth where they sell different things. Um, people from the community come in are able to buy different things. But we sell space uh, so that booths can be set up, uh, and in return, the money that we take in from those booths, we actually uh, send to one of our partner churches in Uganda, uh, Sojourn Church in Kampala. So we do Handmade Fair twice a week, I mean twice a year, not twice a week, uh, twice a year, and we consider this a missions emphasis weekend uh, in, in, in relation to that. And so uh, the Handmade Fair this year, we were able to bring in about $1,700 uh, that will go to Sojourn Church in Kampala, which is incredible. Um, we're able to support them and help them in that way. So in line with Missions Emphasis Weekend, this morning we have a guest with us. Um, we have Dr. Reggie Screen with us. Uh, Dr. Screen is the um, Assistant District Superintendent for the South Atlantic District of the Christian Missionary Alliance. He's also the Director of Church Planting regionally for the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And so uh, we're grateful to have Dr. Screen with us. Dr. Screen, thank you. Couldn't run late at all. I'm gonna need a. Well, I think I can figure this out. All right, we're gonna take a moment and pray for Ben. I hear he's not feeling well, so I want to do that. Is he back there somewhere? Where is? He? Can we pray for you? Could you? Could you come? And one of your elders as well. You know the Bible says we should be doing this kind of thing, right? All right. So do we have at least one elder? Where, where's, where's Reggie? Did he Reggie? <laughs> I didn't want to call you by name, Reggie. But All right, Father, we thank you for Ben. And uh, we know, Lord, in this life things happen to us. And, and so right now he's not feeling well. We don't know what it is. But we know that in the cross um, was uh, healing for our sicknesses and diseases. So would you be so kind, Father, in Jesus' name, to bring healing to Ben. Uh, any fever, any viruses, anything, Lord, we ask it now in your name. Amen. All right, now let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for an opportunity to be here. Just settle down in your presence. Uh, such as I have, I give unto these people, these wonderful people. I do pray that I can communicate clearly what you would have me to communicate in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I get to talk about church planting, but I want to do it in an indirect way. And I want to set my timer here so I don't take all day to do it. And the church said, you guys are getting a little bit rowdy. So I can figure out how to do this. Secondly, okay, um, I normally, you know, I figured out one thing about myself. When the, 
crowd kind of responds back and says amen and smile, it just shortens my time preaching, you know. And so I, I wonder what kind of group you're going to be this morning. Well, <clears throat> let's get started. I want to talk with you from the t- uh, title of the message is How to Live in an Age of Earthquakes. How to Live in an Age of Earthquakes. You know, <clears throat> the story is told of a little boy, seven-year-old Billy, and uh, he was in line waiting to shake the preacher's hand when he, before he exited, this, exited the building. And the preacher said, good morning, Billy. And reaching out his hand, he shook Billy's hand, and he felt something pressing in his hand. And he said, what, what's this, Billy? And Billy said, it's money, and it's for you. And he said, Billy, why, I, I don't need your money, son. Why are you giving me your money? I don't want your money. And Billy said, no, no, I want you to have it. Have it. I want you to have it. I hear you're going through a rough time. He said, what do you mean? He said, my daddy says you're the poorest preacher we ever had, and I just want to help you out. And so <laughs> I pray by the time we're ended today, you won't have me in the Billy preacher category. But we are living in a day of personal earthquakes. And, you know, I've been at this about 20-something years now, uh, 27 years, and I've seen a whole lot. And I don't know if I've ever seen anything like we're experiencing today. You know, back in 9-11, the world was changed. We had an earthquake with the, twi- uh, with the, um, the 9-11 deal going on. Seven years later, the Twin Towers of Banking and Finance suffered an earthquake, and we haven't changed or been the same since. We have terrorist groups, homegrown and abroad. You don't know what to expect, do you? I mean, you can go to the mall, and you, don't, you, know, you could be standing out in a public place, we just had the situation when the guy, you know, went up and began to shoot down and killed how many people? I mean, it's, it's, it's societal and personal earthquakes all over the place. Um, we see it in houses of worship, right? I mean, we're right here in, in Charleston, South Carolina, right down the street, not too far from here. Uh, you know, people in the church worshiping and they get killed. I mean, it's, it's amazing, isn't it? It's not changed too much. If you do research, since 1980, there's been 1,420 church fires, arsons. Something's happening, and it's, cra- and it's crazy. We live in an age of societal earthquakes, and it's never been more important than today for the church to be the church, to operate as true believers, to expand. Yes, church planting but church planting comes out of a healthy group. Wouldn't you agree? Many of us have been through an earthquake or two ourselves. I know I have. I went through, I just came through a very difficult time in life. I've been, I'm about a year and a half out of it. My wife had a major brain tumor. Uh, my mother died. My mother-in-law died. My kid was in the hospital. Uh, uh, as soon as we got home from the funeral, my mother-in-law's funeral found out she had type 2 diabetes and stayed in the hospital three days. It was earthquakes all over the place. Uh, was able to make it through that. I want to share a little bit about my story. Uh, share a little bit to encourage you. And share a little bit about friends of mine who have made it through earthquakes. You know, there's an epidemic now of uh, a drug epidemic going on. I want to share a clip if we were getting that ready. And uh, we might cut it off at the end, but 
I'm sharing this clip for two reasons, to show you kind of what people are dealing with, but also as a warning. You might have teenagers, right? And any word we can get out to kind of to stop the madness, I want to do that. Please, please show, this is a personal friend of mine that lives in my neighborhood. In the U.S. Both now has people. Washington's attention. President Donald Trump declaring a public health emergency this week, but... Nothing paints a picture of the scale of the opioid epidemic like this next report. Two Georgia teenagers found dead on the same morning within an hour of each other in the same neighborhood. CNN's Linda Kincaid sits down with their parents who are still trying to come to terms with what has happened as they work to fight this epidemic. We wanted to have two children because we wanted them to have each other. And now Matthew's an only child. I'll never be the person I was. 18-year-old Dustin Manning and 19-year-old Joseph Abraham had so much potential. So those are his football trophies are up there. He was in a great place. There was a very sensitive young man. He was um, funny. He had a big heart. It was May 26, a Friday morning. Paramedics were called to this house at 6.09 a.m. Dustin Manning was dead. Less than an hour later, half a mile that way, the same situation. Started yelling and yelling and yelling, Joe, Joe, you know, wake up, man, come on, man. As I walked through that door, it was just almost surreal. He was on 911 on the phone call. I just came back to him and I said, we can't fix this. When I opened the door, he was crouched over on his bed. I, it looked like he was tying his shoes almost. You can I went over to him. Now, these are people, not that I, you know, just see on the news. These guys live in my neighborhood, a very well-established, middle-class neighborhood. The lady that was crying that said, I'll never be the same person I was, I'm at the gym with her almost every day. Well, she's there every day. I'm almost every day. But um, <laughs> uh, beautiful people. You know what killed the boys? Three little, a drug called fentanyl, it was three, like three grains of salt. He snorted it and in 30 seconds he was dead. Both guys, they, they just bought the drugs from the same dealer. They weren't together that day. So my, my point is, that's an earthquake for Lisa. How would she, how she's going to handle that? How will the other lady handle that, Right? And if you have teenagers, or if you, or if you even dibble and dabble in drugs, it's a big deal. Am I making sense here? So, so we live in an age of earthquakes. And so here's my point I want to talk to you about today. To live an abundant life in the midst of an earthquake, we must be settled in two areas. Our relationship with Christ and our responsibility to represent him. Our relationship with Christ and our responsibility to re uh, represent him. If we get these two down, Pastor Ben, you will never have to, we need to plant churches, anything. It will be a natural outflow. Our relationship with Christ and our responsibility to represent him. Lisa, the lady up on the screen, she's a, she's a, she's a good person of God, good woman of God, and they'll, they'll make it through it, but it's hard. I, just five months later, and I see her at the gym, and sometimes she's having a really rough day. But the only way she'll make it through is her relationship with Christ and representing him. And I think she's, she's going to take this platform and take it out to the world. Now, 
I want to show you a matrix that talks about the relationship and responsibility. Now, if you don't have a good, strong relationship with Christ, and if you're one of these guys of what we call Christmas and Easter Christians, you know, you show up here and there, you're probably going to end up in this left quadrant if you can click the button. And what's that say? Boring, you can talk. Boring, apathetic, and death culture. How many of you want to be in that culture? Nobody. Now, but let's say you are serious about your representing Christ. We ought to be doing, 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 doing. But you're never really spending any time with the Lord. You, you know what I'm saying? The Bible study, when, Bible, when you open it, you got to put a mask on because the dust just almost just wears you out. The pages stick together. You know, you, don't, you think Job is Job. You know, you know that kind of deal. If you're like that, then you're going to be a stressed out, discouraged culture. And so we see churches like this as well. We ought to do, we ought to do, we ought to go, we ought to plant, we ought to do this. All, 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 should, should, should. And what happens is the people become stressed. Now, but let's say you are one that you are always talking about the relationship with God and God loves me and he does and the grace of God and it is wonderful. But anytime it's time for you to express something in terms of um, living out your faith, partnering in the culture of the church and doing it, you are, nowhere, you are nowhere to be found. You will be in a cozy consumeristic and chaplaincy culture. You, you ought to call the pastor Chaplain Ben. That's where a lot of churches are today. This is why it's almost an epidemic to be, it's almost, it's almost pandemic now to be a pastor. Because pastors are stressed out, discouraged, because the cultures that's created have been cozy, consumeristic cultures. How many of you have seen that? It's all over the place. All over the place. It has become the new metric. How many, how happy, right? How many, how happy, and another one is how much. How much money comes in to keep doing the thing, keep adding stats. And then the last one is if you are a person who can focus on who you are in Christ, and live out your responsibility to represent him, you're going to see breakthrough all over the place. You'll see churches planted. You'll see uh, ministries well-funded. You'll see families uh, healthy because this is the balance that you and I must have. Does that make sense to you? Now back to the uh, crumbling foundations. I want to preach today from the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms. And so uh, we want to look at David in particular. Now, David is a man who understands relationship and representation. Relationship and representation. That's all I want to talk about today. David's in serious trouble. His world is crumbling. And he doesn't really know how he's going to survive. The most powerful man in the world wants him dead, King Saul. In fact, Saul has 
3,000 of his best warriors dogging David's every step. So the people come to David and they give him some, some advice on how to handle his earthquake. Psalm 11, 1 says, B says, flee like a bird to your mountain. Verse 2 says, for behold, the wicked bend their bow, they have fitted their arrow and, uh, to the string to shoot in the dark and at the upright in heart. They were saying that the foundations of civilization, David, as you know them, are crumbling and we have a cultural mess and a moral mess here and you have to save yourself. Be focused on you, David. You can't represent the kingdom anymore. Flee like a mountain, by bird to your mountain. You know the mountain like the back of your hand. David, take matters into your own hand. Take care of yourself. Focus on yourself. It's just you and your family. You're for no more, David. And David's response is, in the Lord. If you go back there, in the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain. And then in verse 3 is what I want to focus on. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? So in this verse, we see a few things that I want to point out. Number one, David understood what it meant to be, what, what it means to be righteous in a right relationship. He's, when the foundations are being torn down, what can the righteous do? And secondly, he understood the righteous could what? Do something. And the same is true for us today. We can represent him. So again, righteousness and representation. And the last thing I want to point out on this, and I'm going to hit him quickly here, is that David understood that there was going to be, and, and through the meta-narrative of Scripture, he understood that there were going to be ups and downs in the Christian life, and we need to as well. So let's look at righteousness here for a second, because it's very, very important. What does it mean to be in a right, right relationship with God? I mean, I've traveled all over the place. I have 11 states in Puerto Rico that I, I uh, have to represent, and then uh, my colleagues are all over the United States, and, and so all over the place, and I, wherever I go, it seems that people really don't understand what it means to be righteous. In fact, we have more of a sin consciousness than we do a righteous consciousness. Did you know that? In fact, if you listen at uh, the Christians, we would think that the fall, if you listen to our songs, you listen at our prayers, you listen at our conversation, you would think that the fall is greater than the cross. Does that stun you? Yeah, I think I'm going to be preaching a long time, no smiles in here today. Right, does that stun you? And so let's look at it, what it means. Let's, take a, let's look at first what it means here for it to be, for a person to be righteous. So let's take a look at unrighteousness first. So God told Adam and Eve, the day you eat of the what? Tree, you shall what? Sure, you shall surely die. And that was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So death has three levels, uh, three manifestations. There's a spiritual death. Agree? 
There's a physical death, agree? And there's a death to a future joy, what we would call hell. Would you agree with that? Now, every person born in this world is born spiritually dead, separated from God. Do you guys believe in total depravity here? Right? Yeah? Okay. And so, this means that no matter how cute the baby is, right, just let him keep growing up. I mean, you'll see some stuff. Man is not right with God. He is unrighteous, right? And so to be able, and you look through all the Old Testament, for man to come before God, that God created a sacrificial system whereby the innocent died for the guilty. The innocent died for the guilty. Now this system here um, was the way that God covered man's unrightness, uh, unrighteousness. I think my stop. Okay, there we are. And so we see this truth played out. If you go back, do we have a picture of Cain and Abel there? The pictures didn't come through. I had some pictures on there. They must have didn't come through. I had a picture of Cain and I had a picture of Abel. You remember Cain came. Cain killed Abel, right? So Cain came and he brought what? He didn't. Yeah, there we are. So he came, Cain brought what? He brought fruit. Now what was, uh, uh, a produce, what was wrong with that? Because the Bible said the life of the creature is in the blood, right? And so he brought out of his, uh, what he thought was right, but Abel brought a what? A blood sacrifice. Now, I want to I I keep pressing this. And so we see this same story on what played out Ten thousands of ten thousands of times in, in, in the scripture. And so what would happen, God would say, bring an innocent animal, right? If we go to the next one. And he was to do what? He was to lay his hand, the, the guilty man was to lay his hand on the head of the innocent lamb. And what was that symbolic of? His sins were going to be transferred over to the Lamb. And then he had to do what? He had to take the knife, if you go to the next one, please, and to slit its throat. Pretty, it was pretty, pretty tough. But in this picture, ten thousands upon ten thousands upon ten thousands of times, you would see the innocent died for the guilty. Say it with me. The innocent, say it again. This is important. Stick with me. And so we see in the Old Testament, that was God's way. And remember, we're talking about David uh, said, when the foundations are torn down, what can the righteous do? So the first point I'm trying to establish is you have to be, as when you, especially when you go through, you have to be rooted and grounded in who you are in Christ. If not, I'm telling you that the hurricanes will blow you away. You won't even think about planting a church. You, I mean, it's, 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 I've experienced it. And so in the Old Testament, we see that God imputed to man's account a righteousness. Would you agree with that? And, this, and so... That was beautiful, but we see something a little bit different and a little bit better in the New Testament. 
and we're talking about the gospel here. John 1.29 says, The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him, this is John, and said what? Say it with me. Behold a lamb. Now stop right there. So when we talk about pictures, that ties right back to what? The Old Testament, right? And what, would, what were they doing in the Old Testament? Sacrifice. And what was the picture? The, and the innocent was going to die for the, the innocent was going to die for the guilty, right? And that was going to give that guy temporarily a stance of righteousness, right? It wasn't going to, they had to do it every year, but it was going to give him a temporary stance of righteousness. So John the Baptist sees Jesus coming, and what does he say? Behold the, the Lamb of God, okay, he has the picture in his mind, that what? Notice what he did not say. Notice he didn't say the Lamb of God that covers the sins of the world. There was a shift happening here. I'm telling you, the gospel is so good, it's scandalous. I'm, I'm just telling you that. I think we've dumbed it down so much, we got to come up with all kinds of ways to try to give it away, to try to get people. But if we just preached it and lived it, if we believed and experienced it ourselves and then lived it, everybody will be beating the doors down to get it. Maybe I ought to not be so demonstrative today. But maybe if we preached it and lived it, I mean, everybody, I don't know how, Pastor Ben's like real small, soft-spoken. Let me just calm down a little bit. I used to preach every Sunday and every, uh, twice a week, but now in this district and regional role, I just preach a little bit, so you guys get to get all of it at one time. <laughs> right? To take away the sins of the world. Am I making sense to you? Now, Jesus is the innocent lamb, and we are the guilty victims, right, of people, right? And that innocent one dies for the guilty, and the Father placed the sin of humanity on Jesus, the innocent one, and now he bids you and I to accept, listen, not it, but him as our righteousness and as our gifts and share that with people everywhere out of abundance. That's the good news. That's the gospel. The guy said that was blind. They were trying to question him about all this stuff. He said, I don't know all about that, but here's what I do know. I once was blind, but now I see. You, you, in my stories, I, I can't, you know, I could probably tell you all about the theological jargon, but all, I, let me tell, you, tell it to you in a, an experiential way. Here's what he did for me. I was a guilty, condemned, going to hell sinner that I came in contact with a holy, righteous God in the form of his son, Jesus Christ, and the innocent died for the guilty, and now I'm free of guilt, shame, and sin. Amen. That's good news. Yeah, you guys, you're with me on it. Now, so the Bible says, as I pressed on here, in, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he made him, who is the, who's the him, who knew no sin, innocent, to be, help me, sin 
for us. The innocent dies for the guilty that we might become the righteousness of God in him. See, if you don't know you're the righteousness of God in Christ, we do the same thing that Adam and Eve did. We cover ourselves with stuff and, and, and we hide from his presence and all this stuff. But when you know that you know that you know that you know, you have a different stance in life and a different position. So Jesus is the final lamb of God. There are no more lambs, a lamb to come, lambs to come, and there, there are no more altars needed. It is finished. Jesus said, it is finished, and the church said, amen. And so before I move from this point, I want you to understand that God's just not covering your sin. He takes, he's taking it away. Isn't that beautiful? And you're trying to work out the math. Well, but what about what I did last night? That's for another sermon if I get invited back. He's taking it away. You know, how many of you can figure out the Trinity? Raise your hand because I need you to help me there, you know. Just tell me all the intricate details and nuances of the Trinity and how it's been. You, you can't and I can't. Some things you just got to see in Scripture and believe it at just for what it says, right? Now, I don't know how he's taken away all my sins, but he, that's what he says he's done. Now, are you so preacher, are you preaching sinless perfection? No, I know there's something called the flesh, and the devil oftentimes pulled at me from that place of the flesh. But you know what? It used to be I didn't have a choice to say yes or no, but now I do. That's what he's given me. Now, Look at Ezekiel quickly here, and now I'll press on. <clears throat> Ezekiel says, now, Ezekiel is talking about Israel and what was to come for them when Christ returned in the final regathering. Help me hold the spirit. Now, Ezekiel said, I will sprinkle water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a what? And, I, and I'll give you a what? And I will, put, he said, I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give your heart of flesh that you could feel. And I will put my spirit within you and calls you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Now, a question to you is, is that a I will for you or a I have for you? Now, that's not rhetorical, by the way. Is that a, a, an I will for you or that is that a, an I have for you? Not a trick question. I got one I will. Can I see I will to I have? I have. Do you have the spirit of Christ in you? Do Christian. Hello. <laughs> you do, don't you? Do, let me, now this side is interesting. Did you, do you have the spirit of Christ in you? 
Do you? Oh, do you have the spirit? You, you have. You can literally, in our case, post-cross, since Christ, you strike the I wills to I have. I have a new heart. I have a new spirit. Christ's spirit is within me, and he's causing me to walk in his ways. That's why, you know what, when you blow it, you get really sad about it, don't you? That's not your, hum- that's not, uh, your humanistic uh, uh, stance. That is, that is the spirit of God in you compelling you, as Paul says, to walk in his ways. Am I making sense? You know, you don't say, okay, well, you know, I think it's just a good idea that we plant some churches. No, it's the Spirit of God compelling you to do this, causing you to walk in his ways. I'm not here in Augusta. I'm in Augusta, I think, this week. because You know, it's, it's, I, I, I pray, and the Lord compels me to come. Am I making sense to you? And so David, listen, understood that he was righteous, right? And his righteousness and what he had cannot stand with what you have. Now watch this. Please follow me. David had an imputed righteousness. Right? It was covered. You have an imputed righteousness, but you also have an imparted righteousness. Why? You say, oh, I got problems with that preacher. Heresy, heresy. No, if you see righteousness as an it, that's the problem. Righteousness is not an it. Righteousness is in him. Christ is the righteousness of God. Christ lives in you. And so your stance now is I am righteous because the righteous one lives in and through me. Okay. This is what 1 Corinthians 130 says, and because of him, you are in Christ and became who became to who? Us. Wisdom from God. What's became? Past, present, or future. I shall press on. I'm running out of time. So To make it plain, the reason you and I are righteous and in right standing with God is not our behavior, though behavior is important and we ought to do works unto righteousness, but that's because not to be right with God. That's because we're right with God. And it is received by receiving the righteous one. Galatians 1, 1, 20 and 21, I have been crucified with Christ. Past tense. I no longer live. Right? Why? Christ lives in me. I wonder if we've fallen so in love with the historical Jesus that we've forgotten about the living Jesus. So, so I, I don't have time to preach that. But that, that, that really is an interesting thought. Because the historic Jesus can be codified or codified and just we can talk about him. But the living Lord Jesus, you have to meet him when you're on your Emmaus roads and you have to do something with your, his presence. You understand what I'm saying? Okay. Uh, you know, it's always shorter for the preachers. You guys got an order that's dying thousand deaths and the preachers will be like, I'm just getting started. So, 
So let me finish that verse, though. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through my human effort, then Christ died needlessly. See, the reason we can have all this division, all this racism, all this ugly stuff is because we don't know that who we are. We think we give dignity to people. We don't give dignity to people. We affirm the dignity of a person because who God has made them to be. Ah, okay. I'm preaching a little bit now, and I need to just calm down, breathe. So David could withstand the earthquakes of life because he was in right standing with God, even in the midst of circumstantial denial. And you and I will only be able to stand through our things that deny the reality of God when we understand who we are and be not moved by that. But also David understood it wasn't just about righteousness. It was about what can the righteous what? Do. What can the righteous do? And so now we're back to representation. We are called to be, we are God's proxy. And I wish I had time to really speak about the real meaning of prayer. In the beginning, of, in the Garden of Eden, when God set up the original intention before the fall, he gave three little words. He says, and let, let them rule. When he, those are powerful words, and if we can unpack that, it will show you how we function as God's proxy in the earth realm. And so we ought to represent him. And Jesus said here in the Great Commission, all authority has been given unto me, he said, which is a hint that we're going to need to know that. Because we're going to run into some things. All authority has been given unto me. Go, therefore, and make you are my proxies. You, you, you are my proxies. Now, so David understood he had to represent God, and we must understand it as well. And church planning is just a part of that. And so while we're going through an earthquake, it's easy to forget about who you are and what you're called to do and start focusing on the earthquake. But David, he did not listen to the advice of all the people that said, flee. He focused on where the Lord sits. The Lord is in his holy temple, he said. The Lord's throne is in heaven. He focused on, he says here, where the Lord sees or what the Lord sees. What the Lord sees. Psalm 11.4 says, his eyelids cast the children of men. And he focused on what the Lord sends. The Lord tests the righteous. But his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked and fire and suffer. And a scorching wind when the, shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. There, go those word, there, there goes that word again. And now he said he loves righteous deeds. You see how there is that. Be due to continuum there all the time. The upright shall behold his face. It gets back into righteousness again. So David understood no matter what, 
he was right with God and he can represent God. Now, let me give you a story and close with my last point that should be pretty fun for you. Now, <clears throat> the early church, how did they do it? Well, first of all, when you go back and look at church planning, because I always look at what we're doing at church planning and go like, if Jesus is the template, how did that work for us? Right? He planted the first church, right? Yeah. So by, let's go back, let's go past, go to the church in Rome. Now, it, they were under pretty dire circumstances. <clears throat> in A.D. 40, there were 1,000 believers in the Roman Empire. 1,000, less than one half of a percent. Yet by the year of A.D. 350, 310 years later, listen, there were almost 34 million. You get that? I mean, these emperor dudes weren't like really open to Christianity, right? They were like, okay, let's take, the, we need some, something to like the pathway to the garden or the game. Let's burn Christians alive. How do they go from 1,000 believers to 34 million believers in less than almost in right at 300 years? That's almost 60% of the population. Here's what happened. Um, and, and we know they lived under massive persecution. They understood two things. And what's the two things they understood? Righteousness. So here's what happened. The plague came. And what did the rich and aristocrats and the middle class Romans do? They left the city like it was on fire. They ran away from the city. And what did the Christians do? They ran into the city to represent Christ. And it gave such an audience that people wanted to know how is it they could live like that and do what they did. And it was all based on righteousness and representation. And it gave such an audience that in such a huge, it was like a, like a billboard, such advertisement people wanted in. And so this is where we are. I really challenge you, as you're living in your community, run into issues. Know that you're the righteousness of God and be willing to represent him. Now, here's the last one I want to say quickly. And we have a, I have a little video clip on that. <clears throat> David and other biblical characters understood that even though one can be righteous and even though you're committed to representing God, Life has ups and downs. Yea, do I walk through the valley of the... Mother, you've lived a few years. You know, it's, a, it's valleys. It's, their valleys aren't there. Huh? Their valleys. I just, got a, I just got a call from a friend, my friend's brother. He's 72 years old. Been walking with me in church planting for 25, 20 years taught me much of what I knew. He said, Reg, life is built on memories and moments. He said, you got to build those memories and moments with your family because that's really all you have. And so Bob had gone to London, taken his wife Gloria to London on the way back and had a massive heart attack and died. My friend Gloria is in a valley. Now, <clears throat> let me just show you this quickly and what I mean. And if you get this, 
this will help you. Now, how many of you like movies? What kind of movies do you like? Talk back to me. Comedies. Comedies. True stories. Adventures. Say more. What kind of adventures? What kind of movies? Name a few. Say it louder. I couldn't hear you. Indiana Jones. Okay, that's, that's good. Yes. Somebody else? God. We need to go to lunch. Gladiator. Russell Crowe. Man's man. We'll come back to that one. What else? The Matrix. The blue pill or the red pill? If you want to know how far the rabbit hole goes, take the red pill. If you want to just be, go back to your own world, same old world, take the blue pill. What else? Anybody else? Star Wars? What about, I mean, Wonder Woman like smashed the box office, right? You know, I even went to see Wonder Woman. I wanted to see the next one, right? Okay, so here's my point. All of those movies are built off of a platform or structure by a man named Joseph Campbell. Who ever heard of Joseph Campbell? You've heard of Joseph Campbell. Joseph Campbell had 12 stages. Because I knew I was coming to Augusta and I could not preach about the 12 stages, I'll just share three quickly. The, 12, the three stages that I took and condensed from Joseph Campbell's 12 stages are not only for the movie, but they're for your life. You really want to write this down because all you got to do is keep living and you need to, you, you'll, you'll run into this. Now, the first stage is, remember, we're, we're closing, the, we're landing the plane and we're talking about that though you represent God and though you are in relationship with God, there still will be ups and downs. You just got to keep what? Walking. And so, I mean, because none of you like to go to a movie, right, and everything is all in place. I mean, there's no challenges. There's no nothing. And then, I mean, you go like, ooh, that was a great movie. You, look, you go back, I want my money back. This was the sorriest movie. Or you don't go to a movie and the, and, and the guy or the lady who is supposed to be the hero, they get halfway and they quit. You want your money back, right? No. No, you want to see something that's built off this platform. The first one is call. Calls are wanted and unwanted, right? And we're going to use a gladiator on that. The gladiator, Russell Crowe, received a call. The emperor, what was the emperor's name? Marcus Aurelius. You're good. Marcus Aurelius, he saw the character and competency of the general. All the general wanted to do is to retire in the next year or so, go home and farm with his family, right? That's all he wanted to do. But the emperor said, no, listen, Rome is corrupt. We, I know you to be an upstanding man. I want you to take this and give Rome back to the people, okay? So that was a call and it was unwanted. Some of you have a wanted call, but some of it is unwanted. Almost everything I've been in in life has been an unwanted call. Like even what I do right now, it's an unwanted call that I've embraced. So that way if you go back and, and say anything, I'll be in. So, but every call is going to be faced with adversity. So if you're called to reach Augusta for Jesus, it's going to be filled with what?
an antagonist. In the case of the gladiator who was the antagonist, Commodus. And Commodus, and Commodus, Commodus was cruel. He killed, he was jealous of the gladiator. Uh, uh, what's the gladiator's name? Huh? No, no, no. That's Maximus Decimus, man. Okay, so he wanted, he wanted the glad, he was jealous of his father, and so he killed his father, but he not only killed his father, he came to Maximus Decimus and said, I need you to serve me. And he said, I will not do it. And so he took and he killed Maximus's family, and he tried to kill him, and he was sold to slavery, into slavery. That's antagonist. Then... So this is the challenge piece. All that we're going to go through, there are going to be challenges, but you got to remember two things, and that's what the two things are what? Righteousness and representation. Now, now, every time you go through a challenge, you need a mentor, somebody who has gone through something that knows the way. Now, who was the mentor for Maximus? Proxim, proximo or something. Proximo, Right? Now, Proximo was a general, uh, not a general, he was a gladiator. The gladiator was not a, he, 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 was, he was a general, but, he, you know, he was going to end up being a gladiator. But here's my point. He told him, he said, if you want to get back and fulfill your call, you have to win the heart of the people. Right? And so, he went through the challenge got back before the heart of the people, now run the clip. Rise. Rise. Your fame is well-deserved, Spaniard. I don't think there's ever been a gladiator to match you. Just with this young man, he insists you are Hector Reborn. Was it Hercules? Why doesn't the hero reveal himself and tell us all your real name? You do have a name. My name is Gladiator. How dare you show your back to me? Slave! You will remove your helmet and tell me your name. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the North, general of the Felix Legions, loyal servant to the true emperor, Marcus Aurelius, father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next.
up fighting the villain. The villain poisons him. Before he dies, he gives, he fulfills a call. He walks through the challenge and he gives Rome back to the people. Now, my friends, as I close, listen to this. You want to be a good husband. You want to be a good wife. You want to be a good, you want to plant churches. You want to do whatever it is in terms of the kingdom. Righteousness, stand on it with Christ's Christ righteousness and push out your responsibility for kingdom's sake. And you will. The call is for us to be like a turtle. Turtle. Yes, a turtle. Not a ninja turtle, but a turtle. A turtle is hard on the outside. We got to be hard on the outside to mess it, make it through the challenge. A turtle is soft on the inside. Our heart needs to be pliable before the Lord and others. And to go forward, a turtle must stick out its neck and to risk it. You got to be willing to stick out your neck to risk something that's bigger than yourself. Father, thank you for this time. Father, we are in an age of earthquakes, <coughs> a very real challenge to quit, to throw in the towel, to not press through the ups and the downs. <coughs> Father, may we stand on the righteousness of Christ. There are so many pundits, there are so many people who are dividing us and telling us what we should be or we shouldn't be. You've been clear about that. You're calling for the new creation in Christ to stand forth, come forth and stand fast. I pray that this church can be that. And out of that, it represents you and plant churches all over the place through health. It's in Jesus' name.